Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to Facing the Canon. I'm delighted to welcome my friend, Dr. Joe Boot, cultural apologist. Dr. Joe Boot, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks for having me, John. It's wonderful to be here. We've been friends for many, many years, yeah. and I'm delighted that you're here. Now, your parents ended up becoming missionaries to Pakistan. That's correct, yes. And tell us about that. What was that like? Yeah, so I think I was, uh, as I recall, 19 um, and in seminary when um, when my parents finally uh, uh, took the leap after 10 years of church planting in Wiltshire uh, to uh, go and serve in Pakistan, which they did for just over 15 years as missionaries there. It, it was a, an interesting time for our family because um, I have three three brothers and um, the youngest was 16 years old when, um, when my parents uh, went to Pakistan. He had the opportunity of of going and studying there, but did a visit and decided he wanted to stay with his brothers. So um, we uh, lived in Nottingham um, together as uh, as boys um, for for a number of years as we sort of moved into um, the beginnings of our our adult life. So it wasn't without its challenges, but the Lord watched over us and watched over my 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 parents, and um, uh, it was a it was a journey of faith for both of us, really. Absolutely. Now, we first met when I was speaking at a conference in Wales, Kefin Lee, and there was a, an adult part and a youth part, and you were part of the Boot Brothers. That's well, right. Who were the Boot Brothers? <laughs> so, well, I mentioned my, my three siblings. Um, one of the things about church planting, you know, if you're a pastor's kid, is that uh, the, the, the family usually ends up being the band, the children's ministry, the youth workers, and pretty much everything else in the early years of the church. And uh, my brothers and I were all musicians, and uh, we, we, had a, we gradually developed this, this gospel band. Um, so we, we called ourselves naturally the Boot Brothers, and uh, we ended up... Um, uh, for a number of years actually touring quite uh, frequently to different music festivals and we would do evangelism in hotels, prisons, schools, churches and conference centres like the one where, where we met um, and uh, run youth ministry um, and so on. So uh, for about two years actually we, we kind of went professional, that's what we did for a living before um, my older brother got married and we could no longer afford to, it wasn't a situation where we could start paying salaries to different members of the band. So um, that, was the, that was the Boot Brothers. That was really how I got my start in ministry in many respects, because what would frequently happen is that after we'd done our, our musical gig, I would speak yes. uh, in an evangelistic and context and preach the gospel. And that's how really I started. I remember to this day my first um, sermon at the age of 16 when our band was playing at a, at a big youth event in, in Swindon. And that's when you realise, hey, the Lord has anointed you, gifted you to do the work of an evangelist. Yeah, I uh, was actually at, um, you mentioned uh, Kevin Lee in Mid Wales, uh, and it was actually there where um, I was sat in a, a youth uh, event um, and uh, a, a Pentecostal pastor was actually speaking and I was 16 
Um, and I was sat in, I remember sat in a row and I, I think as my mother tells me, I, I had a young lady on either side. Um, and uh, uh, he stopped, this pastor um, stopped in the middle of his message and he said, you watch, what's your name? So I, I told, first of all, I was looking behind me to see who he was talking to, told him my name. And he said, uh, God's called you to, to be an evangelist. And he yes. said a few other things and he says, you'll remember this day for the rest of your life. And uh, that was true. That was the beginning um, for yes. me of that uh, awakening, that recognition that I had to, that the Lord was calling me to preach. And, uh, and that's, when, that's when it started. And the initial expression of that was through the band, yes. through music. And I would speak, as I say, after the, after the concerts. I mean, it's quite inspiring, actually, isn't it, to be um, identified in that particular way. And then, of course, the, this particular preacher was right. Yes. Yeah. Now, you went on to Bible college and you studied uh, theology. And uh, I mean, you ended up doing a doctorate. What did you do your doctorate in? Uh, Christian intellectual thought. So my journey was uh, the, 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 the point at which I felt that sense of, of calling. What gradually began to happen is we would do the music and then I would speak. And, it, and there was a sort of transition that happened where I started to look forward to the speaking more than the playing with my guitar and the singing. Uh, and that was what was really burdening my heart. So I went to seminary and I did a theology there. I went on to do a master's um, through the University of Manchester in, in missiology, which is the study of basically how the kingdom of God expresses itself um, through the, the life of God's people. And I, I focused on the area of Christian apologetics. Um, and then um, I developed my master's thesis a number of years later uh, into my doctoral work um, in, in Christian intellectual thought, yes. You had a season with a ministry called Sort Mine. That's right. And, and then from there, uh, you joined Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. There was a hiatus between those two. So I, from Salt Mine, I was there for two years uh, as, the, as national evangelist. And then I was three years at Christ Church um, at a, an Anglican church in London, um, where I served as the director of evangelism. So when my wife and I, when, when I met Jenny in Salt Mine, uh, when we were first married, I spent the first three years uh, basically as a church-based evangelist in southwest London. Which was actually very good because you'd done the itinerant. That's right. And now you're a church, which is very good because not yep. all itinerants have done the local. local church, yeah. Yes. That set me in good, very, I mean, as we'll come to the bit of the story later, that, that did set me up well, that experience and actually developing a a sort of apologetics course for unbelievers there uh, became my uh, first book. Yes, and that's where you kind of engage more with apologetics. That's right. Okay, yeah. so that led you into RZIM ministry that's right. yeah. to Canada. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in, um, uh, in London where I'd been uh, serving, and I, as you say, I was kind of focusing more and more on Christian apologetics, um, I was asked to to go to Oxford to join uh, the Zacharias Trust. Um, this now would be, goodness me, uh, 2001, I think yes. it was, somewhere there. And so um, my wife and I moved to Oxford and we were in, uh, in Oxford for two years uh, doing itinerant Christian apologetics, which was taking us in the UK, but outside of the UK to other parts of the world. And then I was invited to go to Canada uh, to uh, set up an office of that apologetics ministry in 
Toronto. And that's quite a big thing, Joe, isn't it? For both for you and your wife, Jenny, to go to another country in another continent. Uh, but you must have felt it was the right thing to do in terms of discerning the will of God. Yeah. Sometimes it's not always clear, is it? No, and actually it took us uh, nine months, ten months to, to, to fully make that uh, decision. We did a, we did a visit to, to Canada um, and um, my wife, Jenny, was actually pregnant with our first at the time. So you can imagine I've got my, my parents across the world in Pakistan and now we're being asked uh, and have a growing sense of calling to go to, the, to, to North America uh, to serve there away from my wife's parents and all of our family and everything that was familiar. Um, so it was, a, it was a testing time. We really had to seek the Lord about it. I remember we were in the Lake District uh, and my wife and I said, well, let's go away and we need to pray. And we were walking in the Lake District and, and one evening uh, the Lord took us to the book of Jonah. And uh, my wife said to me, she said, um, I really feel that the Lord is speaking to me that I have to uh, not be like Jonah. We need to go to the city that God is sending us to and give it the message that he will give to us. And um, and we both knew at that point, yeah, this is the, the time to, to leave. So we went and that was 19 years ago. Um, not to avoid the elephant in the room. <laughs> Obviously, uh, hugely sad and distressing that um, Ravi Zacharias's life uh sadly mm -hmm. was not what we all we thought, thought it was. You, joe you must have reflected because mm. you knew him what are your thoughts about ravi zacharias and what can we learn mm -hmm. for ourselves for the future well the first thing to say would be the the news was devastating um we, my wife and I, had felt one of the reasons we left was that we just felt there was just an unhealthy uh, political culture within the organization. It was, it was very much a, um, a family business, as it were, um, and um, questions or um, concerns that, were, that might be expressed were kind of seen as disloyalty. Um, there was... Uh, the danger, and especially a tr it's a danger in North America, of a bit of a personality cult where there's a fear of challenging things in any case um, that develops, can develop around a person. And so uh, we, of course, never dreamt that this, that what's broken in the last year or so was underlying uh, the life of, of Ravi. But it's very difficult, you know, when, you, when I look back, you, uh, when you see dysfunction, there's there were indicators that there were there, there are problems here and the issue was they were not addressed um i think one of the things that i've as i look back i really learned from it is one of the critical issues was a, was a total failure of accountability genuine accountability to the leaders of the the board of the organization accountability in a local church yes. submission of oneself to church discipline in a local church community where people are speaking into your life and holding you accountable and one of the things that um, I've always valued, <clears throat> including our relationship over the years from the very beginning was having mentors, people discipling you, people yes. who are speaking into your life, who yes. are challenging you. Yes. I didn't see that in Ravi's no. life in my experience. No. I never saw that. And so as I look back, um, 
and of course some of the some of the things that broke are are hard for one to even get your head around but it, it, it just shows you that if you are not in accountable kingdom relationships in the life of god's church um you can get away with living a double life and appear to be something that you're not yes. for a very very long time um but even during that there will always be areas where something is sticking out of the box Yes. And that's what we found 14 years ago. There were certain things that just didn't add up to us. And we knew that it was time for us to, to, to for the three reasons I mentioned, to take a step and move on um, and get on with our ministry. Yeah, very, very wise insights there, Joe. And, and a warning to us to be uh, careful and, and cautious and holy and humble. Right. But the Lord led you on and mm -hmm. Jenny and... So many exciting things happened. How did you discover what God wanted you to do next? Uh, well, we sensed uh, we were sensing a burden for Canada primarily uh, and a burden for the church. And um, at that time, actually, I was um, I was being offered a position as a, as the senior leader of a, of a large church in Toronto. Um, and through a variety of discussions over a number of weeks, we decided not to take that uh, that role. And that kind of left us in a situation where we, we had no income, a young family, uh, the, 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 the place where we thought we were going to go as we stepped out was, was not gonna happen. We, we were feeling that it wasn't the right thing. And uh, so we were really just casting ourselves on the Lord. Basically, John, I had a piece of paper with a vision written on it. Yes for a church plant and the establishment of an, of an institute for Christian apologetics uh, with a passion for Christian education. And uh, it was, I remember it to this day, it was called Westminster Citadel. It started off as one page, it, it evolved into several pages. And it, uh, during a period of the first two or three weeks, we were really seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what, what are we going to do now? Um, I received a phone call from somebody who said, uh, I hear you're planting a church. I said, well, I'm praying about it, I'm looking at it, I'm working on it. He said, well, how's your family gonna live while you're doing this? I said, well, to be honest with you, I just don't know. And he said, I'll give you $80,000 for the first year so that your family is looked after while you're planting the church. And um, so we put together a group of 25 a, a core and, planting. And, and that's hugely encouraging, isn't <laughs> it? Was, it? <laughs> Obviously, I mean, that talk, was... Talk about Jehovah Jireh, my yeah. provider. Yeah. And, and you hadn't even publicized it. No. But isn't that wonderful how God puts a little seal and a nudge? Yes, and that's how that's exactly how we read it. We thought, well, Lord, this is obviously what uh, you are saying and you are doing because you're making this provision. And um, so we, we set up this little core team. We were meeting in somebody's front room and we began to pray. And one of my friends in that group in particular uh, was saying to me that he was really feeling that the Lord was going to give us a property in downtown Toronto. Now, anybody who knows anything about, you know, Paris, London, New York, Toronto, you know that real estate is exorbitantly expensive. How is some small uh, church plant ever going to afford um, a building? Um, but we, we prayed and we thought, well, Lord, all of these churches that are closing, that are shutting down, um, the main mainline churches closing their doors, selling off their properties to, real estate, to, to developers, why can't you give us one of those? They're yes. your buildings. And uh, to cut the long story short, for the sake of time, um, I, I did some pavement trudging. I, I was praying. It was, took about eight months. And um, the Lord gave us 
in the end, in, within the first few years, two uh, traditional, huge downtown church buildings, one of which was close to being a ruin. We managed to get started in there for the first two or three years. And we were able to sell that ruin. Um, and with the money, we were able to restore the other building that we were given and, um, and, and build the Westminster Chapel in downtown Toronto. And we redeveloped the site for a Christian school. So we planted Westminster Classical Christian Academy which is thriving today. How many children are in the school? There are over 100 students now in the school, and its uh, school is just seven years old um, in inner city Toronto. Um, and the focus of the, the values of that school, how would you articulate that? Yeah, so it, the, the goal is to have a distinctly Christian curriculum. Yeah. So the goal is to say, look, you know, a Christian education is not... Um, the standard humanistic secular curriculum with a chapel service uh, stuck on the front at, on Monday morning. But what does it mean to have a Christian world and life view imbibed and saturating every subject area so that we're actually equipping and developing thought leaders for the next generation? So we go back in the school to the classical tradition. So there's a sort of Latin foundation, grammar, logic, rhetoric. Um, and a very robust curriculum so that the children are learning to develop their critical faculty. And um, obviously, as a Christian apologist, that was a concern of mine that we started a school where we're preparing culture shapers for the next generation. Yes. So that was the goal and actually led John to um, now numerous classical Christian schools Wonderful. starting off the back of, of that in numerous churches around Ontario. So, so the church grew, the school yeah. grew. That's right. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so the church uh, just kept uh, growing and expanding. And I, I had um, uh, a, a, a young man that I was um, developing um, who just finished his PhD, became on as my associate. Um, and we built a staff team there. And um, around 2009 as well, we began what were the beginnings of the Ezra Institute. Yes. Um, which is a Christian worldview and cultural apologetics organization, which I'm sure we can talk about shortly. Um, and uh, began with just a website and a journal called Jubilee, and uh, has since grown to, to become a ministry now where we're um, starting operations in three, in three nations um, as we try and equip people with a biblical world and life view, with a, with a, a ready response in our cultural moment. And what do you mean, Joe, when you say cultural apologetics yeah. what does that mean yeah so cultural apologetics is the it's the articulation and the vindication of the christian mind conscience and imagination in all of cultural life so that the christian world and life view as it's expressed in the bible is embodied and is seen as true beautiful full of meaning that's the, that's the goal of a cultural apologetic. So when we talk about apologetics, most people are accustomed to thinking in very narrow terms, what we might call a, a classical or traditional Christian apologetic. Does God exist? What about evil and suffering? Is Jesus the only way to God? Very important questions. Of course. Still need to be a, a, addressed. addressed. A cultural apologetic includes that, but it goes broader and it says, what does it mean to... Um, vindicate the total Christian vision, the total Christian philosophy of life. So I began to ask myself the question, okay, yes, we can do debates, and I did many, on the existence of God, but 
the the attack against Christianity today and where the where the real battle lies are more civilizational cultural questions. So what does it mean then to have a and, and is there a defense of the Christian view of human identity and sexuality? Is there a defense of the Christian view of family, of law, of politics, of education, of business, of the arts? Is there a way that we can articulate and express the faith in all of these different areas, developing a distinctly Christian world and life view for all of them, so that we begin to change the plausibility structure of our culture? And that's what the Ezra Institute was set up to do. And so that began in Canada in 2009. And started investing in people, influencing, shaping, shaping. training, short-term training programs, resources, publishing house, journal, podcast, um, and it's very, very small beginnings and um, began to grow and expand in, in influence and reach. We're still a very small um, organization, but we like to say we carry a big stick. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I'm reminded of that scripture about renewing the mind. And we do need to renew our thinking, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. And, um, and re-envision what is God's biblical DNA for us today. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I know the church, the school are have flourished and are flourishing, but you felt the call to return mm-hmm. to England and you recently did that. Yeah. And how do you see the future from now on mm-hmm. based in England? Well, as you say, we, uh, we felt uh, a prompting after 19 years to come back. Um, to the UK and uh, the the sense was of course like any decision like that you've got several factors our children our family here parents uh, grandparents of our kids but also a sense that the Lord was opening up opportunity and uh, and for influence beyond the Canadian landscape and so our our hope and our goal is we think this is a an inflection point historically in our era. We're at a tipping point, I think, in our era in the West. And there is an urgent need for equipping God's people with a with a Christian world and life view and an ability to take the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel into the public space and uh, show the, the goodness and the value of that for everybody. And um, it's a the, the, the structures around us, the shape of peoples, we often say to ourselves, well, yeah, but you might have a, um, do, do you really change people's hearts if you see laws change? Well, as William Wilberforce clearly understood, no, you don't transform somebody's heart by changing a law, but, but law is a teaching device that teaches us values and it begins to shape the structures in which people live. And that uh, begins to determine the receptivity that they have um, to the gospel. So we might say there's a kind of pre-evangelism going on, uh, but more than that, I would say it's evangelization. And so what we're interested in as a ministry is equipping God's people, equipping the church, engaging the culture, yes, ourselves, but equipping God's people to engage the culture with um, a cultural apologetic that is thinking about the to- a vindication and expression and application of the total Christian vision of life as reflected in scripture. Why do you think what you've just raised isn't always addressed by the church. Mm. Why is it that we feel like, well, we don't know much about this? Yeah. 
I think largely what's happened is um, as we've experienced de-Christianization in the West over the last hundred years, but especially since World War II, we've tended to truncate the gospel to a very narrow set of propositions uh, to be believed. Uh, and we've lost, uh, I think, or surrendered to some degree, the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom of God a lot. He actually only mentioned the church specifically yeah. two or three times. Um, and that's significant in that the kingdom of God is what scripture is ultimately about. That's God's priority, the building of his kingdom. That's the basileia in yes. the New Testament. Um, the church, the ecclesia, is a called out people who are called out on mission in terms of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church should be concerned with the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, which begins, of course, with the regeneration of our hearts yeah. as we come to the cross. But when we come to the cross and we realize the reality of the resurrection, we need to go beyond that then to the ascension and session of the Lord Jesus Christ to the right hand of all power and authority yes. as the ruler of the kings of the earth who is now extending his kingdom. And that's why we pray, your kingdom come, come. Your, your will, will be, be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. And as William Booth expressed it here in England, you know, the founder of the Salvation Army, you know, the, the goal of the Christian life shouldn't be that we see people saved and they mum get mummified and stick them on a pew. We're called in terms of the king's business. And I think what's happened in the pulpit and in the church as a, as a generalization is with de-Christianization, we felt more and more that we cannot apply the fullness of the reality of the gospel of the kingdom to all of life because then we're wandering into politics and law and education and issues of life and so on and that might offend people and isn't that bringing politics into the pulpit and so on and so we actually get afraid of applying the word of God and the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom to all of life and we've tended to reduce the gospel to, well, uh, a very effective form of fire insurance. And, you know, that uh, I'm saved, I know Jesus, and now how is God gonna bless me and give me a, 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 the, the blessed life? And oh, and I need to tell some other people about Jesus as well. But who is this Jesus we're telling them about? He's the creator, he's the redeemer, he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords, and he is reconciling all things to himself. And he's given us, a ministry of reconciliation. Amen. So how do we engage in the process of reconciling, instead of alienating God's creation from him, as we once did when we were dead in trespasses and sins, how do we reconcile all areas of life under the lordship of our King Jesus? And I think we tended to lose the message of the kingdom, and as such, the, the, our gospel's been narrowed, and we're not equipped then in the life of the church Yes. as butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, politicians, lawyers, judges, magistrates, teachers, business people, to apply a biblical world and life view. We tend to be told, be holy and tell some people about yes, Jesus yes. and come to Bible study, and that's it. Whereas actually, when we capture a vision of the kingdom of God, we begin to see the, the, the reality and the joy of what it means to be a Christian. Absolutely. Joe, you're a very thoughtful person, you're very stimulating, and I'm delighted that we're going to have you back so that we can talk more. Thank you, Joe, for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you for having me, John. 
Yes, indeed, we are going to have Joe, Dr. Joe Boot back so that we can talk a lot more. I hope you found that not just informative, but stimulating. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com. <laughs>